That's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley. And on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome back to the program Jeff Sullivan, yet another member of the Fangraphs staff whose podcast-related rift with erstwhile host Carson Sestouli led to a protracted absence from the show. Jeff and I discussed the goings-on at this year's recently concluded winter meetings, which took place in Las Vegas, Nevada, concurrent with some trades, though perhaps not as many as we would have liked, and also a rodeo. We'll discuss said rodeo and perhaps learn some things about its various events, and also contemplate a topic which led Jeff to say the following. Talking about baseball butts is more on brand for fan graphs compared to where this podcast was a year ago. Ah, yes brands. All that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the cost of one pound of citrus fruit, you can support the wonderful work at Fangraphs, including that of the aforementioned Jeff Sullivan, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's prospect lists, Cheryl Ring's legal analysis, and more trade and free agent talk than you can shake a stick at. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads and slightly better loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you now to my conversation with Jeff Sullivan, senior writer and editor of Fangraphs, which is about to begin. used to do that just like right away yeah and, uh, and then he would catch you off guard you'd go on and you'd be like hey how are you doing and, and then you'd have a conversation you'd say something stupid you'd follow it with like three minutes of worthless dialogue and he'd be like yeah so we've been doing this the whole time yeah when when sam came on i we talked about this i i actually kind of i mean it feels um it feels disconcerting in the moment because you're like crap did i just say anything i wasn't supposed to did i have a gchat only uh kind of exchange but <laughs> it does give the very false but nice impression that someone has just like walked in on a conversation between friends it's like oh hey here are these people talking about baseball stuff here they are so i kind of like it but i understand that uh, a warning is nice yeah this time this time it's uh people happen upon a conversation that's about baseball it used to be not so much that way that was just people (laughs) happening upon a conversation that could be taking place anywhere there's been a shocking amount of baseball on fangraphs audio since carson's departure (laughs) I'm going to turn this. So, how how was your? I know Ben and I talked to you on the other Fancrafts podcast when when your your promotion job title was was assigned, but we didn't talk that much specifically about the podcasting part. You have, yeah. of course, been on podcasts, but to my knowledge, yeah. this is the first time leading one. So, what's been your experience? It's been good. I I know a lot more about editing software than I did like three weeks ago, which is great because that means that there's a podcast for people to listen to. I like podcasts. I I enjoy doing them. I like talking to people. You know, we'll get into to winter meetings in a little bit here, but we sit at home by ourselves all the time. (laughs) So I like the days when I'm podcasting. I mean, I'm on the phone just like a a criminal amount of the time these days. I don't know how long that'll last, but more just, actually criminals only yeah. get one hour a week. <laughs> That's true. I am exceeding the, uh, the federal mandate for phone time, <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice to chat with folks. And you know, we I'm like not to have a, a sappy about fan moment, but it's like, we work with really smart people who know smart stuff about baseball. And I love talking to smart people about smart baseball stuff. So <laughs> that part's really fun. I don't know. It, you get comfortable. I think that I have sort of front loaded these first couple of episodes with people 
who I, I know pretty well and am friends with in, in other contexts besides just work so that I have, you know, kind of given myself an easy on-ramp. And then at some point we'll have to like talk to people I don't know for the first time. But for now, <laughs> another episode of a friend. <laughs> so yeah, it's been good. And not as frequent as you have to do it. You have to talk all the time. You have to be on that podcast all the time. Well, but that's good because otherwise I only talk to my fiance like at all. And uh, and then that's <laughs> I, I have to do like a lot of warming up to talk to her on days that don't have a podcast. But I there there are days there there are days that I get kind of annoyed by effectively wild because I I think of myself as still being like a the writer and an analyst and my work is supposed to take the form of of articles. And I think, oh, the podcast is taking away from my writing. But for one thing, the podcast is part of the job. And, and for another, podcasting is like a lot easier. <laughs> I think yeah. you've probably noticed because yeah. you're just talking. Now, of course, you have to have some foundational knowledge and you have to prep a little bit. If you have a guest, you have to have some questions. But it is so much easier to just freely talk about baseball than to write <laughs> in like a, a tight manner about baseball. Not that anything I ever read is tight, but that <laughs> to just compose something is so much more taxing than just like sitting back, having a chat. Yeah. And at this particular moment in my own editorial life, it is really all I have time for. <laughs> so it's great to remind people that I actually know stuff about baseball by talking about it on a podcast with my friends. <laughs> Speaking, I guess you were going to get to the winter meetings in, in a little bit, but while while at the winter meetings, Fangraphs had the distinct pleasure, I guess, of being represented on television for anyone who didn't notice. Like Jay was on there to talk about Harold yeah. Baines. He's literally in the Hall of Fame. We didn't dream that. And I, I yep. got to do a thing. And then you also got to make not your television debut, but your MLB Network debut. And yeah. how I mean, there's there's a whole conversation to be had about just doing that for the first time anyway, but also doing it as the managing editor where you haven't written for a while. It could have it would have been easy to overlook you as a potential guest, but yeah. you, you got to do it anyway. Was the, did that feel like a good opportunity to show off that you actually do know baseball and can't just edit baseball? Yeah, it was, it was nice. I mean, it was a very, uh, TV is very strange as a, as an enterprise. I think that while being an editor is the, the primary focus of my day most days right now, like I similar to you think of myself first and foremost as a writer. And so then to add this other dimension to, I don't know, to what you're doing, to have to think about how you talk about baseball in a, you know, an informed audience. It's not like I have to tell, you know, the people on that panel about baseball. I think, you know, Stark and, and Brian and, and Peter Gammons are pretty well versed in the sport, but you do have to think about how you modulate what you're saying for an audience at home that is, has some overlap with ours, but is different. I was in a wind tunnel while I was doing that appearance. I was in hindsight kind of grateful for that distraction because I think I would have thought a lot more about being on stage with two Hall of Famers if I, had, if I had not been so worried about my hair blowing in my face and making me look like the girl from the ring. So, you know, it was fine. We all cleaned up nice. We look so good on TV as Fangraphs folks. We did great. I was so proud of us. But it yeah. was, you know, it's it's also one of those things that you get very nervous about in advance. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know how um how much you've thought about this before you went on TV, but like, you know, they don't have a lot of women on that show, which isn't, you know, a thing they do intentionally, but it's just historically not been true. And so I've 
feel a sort of extra obligation to present myself well and also know that the internet is cruel and full of monsters. And so you're worried about all of this stuff that isn't the baseball. And then it's like five minutes and it's done. And you're like, did that even happen? Like, I don't remember what I said. I have still not watched that segment. I sent it to my mother who told me that she didn't understand a word I said, but that I sounded great while I was doing it. Cause you know, this is like baseball stuff. She just doesn't know. And, uh, and you know, I didn't feel like I embarrassed us at all. We walked away looking reasonably smart and with windswept hair. So I thought it went fine. Yeah, no, it's a little bit like dressing up and going to the dentist where you just kind of worry about it the whole time. And after 10 yeah. minutes, you're like, oh, I guess that now, I guess, granted, some people need more dental work. Maybe I've been blessed. I don't know. But it is, if it, if it makes you feel, I don't know, better, worse, or different, it was it, at the beginning of 2017, Fangraphs entered into some sort of agreement with MLB Network whereupon MLB Network would begin to pay the Fangraphs employees who were making appearances. I don't know if, by the way, this is like private information, but it's out there now. They were going to pay the Fangraphs people that they had on the air because they were having Fangraphs people on the air a lot. And people like to get rewarded for that. It's time out of the day. And since since entering into that agreement, Fangraphs people have been on TV almost not at all. (laughs) So (laughs) while we had the opportunity... To uh, to go on a few of us during the winter meetings, I had received an email literally the week before saying, hey, just so you know, your contract with MLB Network is not being renewed. It expires at the end of the <laughs> month. So I hope you had fun and we'll see if there's more. But we that's, got it uh, in just under it. the wire. Yes. Yeah. I uh, The producer, you know, knew Kylie. Shocking that Kylie knew a person. But um, yeah, he just reached out and was like, who else? Uh, who else from your site would like to go on TV? And I was like, here's literally everyone. <laughs> but, you know, they have to fill, they have to satisfy a lot of different folks and audiences. But I thought we did pretty all right. And then uh, we'll, we'll sneak some invoices in under the wire and go into 2019 fresh, I guess. It felt, uh, I don't know, like we were seen because that that was yeah. a, not just television, but like a live set from a venue where literally everyone who does this in the world is. So, like, they had their pick of the litter, in a sense, unless they're just bound by whatever agreements they have. They could have called up any number of writers, like, literally any number of writers. They could have called up yeah. 30 writers and put them all they on picked on us. They picked us. Yeah. Oh, that makes me feel very fancy. It makes me feel much fancier than I did when my hair was blowing in my face and I was worried that I was going to look like a wild woman in some way. Yeah, no. Had the had the wind blown in the other direction, it would have been a very different segment. <laughs> The makeup woman who was on set, who was just lovely and, you know, was like, oh, no, you don't need any extra makeup. And I was like, God bless you for lying. (laughs) She was like, it's so nice to have another woman on set, but the the wind and your hair. And then she she noticed what direction it was blowing. She's like, I think it is going to be okay. But she was like prepared to pull it back and do some sort of, you know, complex maneuver to make sure that people could see my face. So... As with any creative endeavor, there are many, many people who make you look good at the end of it, and, and that that segment was no exception. Something Did you get probably, like a? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. See, this is what happens. You're used to hosting a podcast, and then I'm used to hosting a podcast, and then we're just going to host a podcast at the same time. But th- this is where you learn how to edit the crosstalk. <laughs> yeah. Or what I do is say, "Hey, Dylan, fix this part," and then he does, and it's great. <laughs> when you when you were walking out of the media room, did you give like a, a very um, intense ceremonial wave to your fellow writers and say, "I am going on television now. I will go to TV." As a matter of fact, I descended from my hotel room because I had enough of the media room. I hate the media room. I don't know why people go to work in the media room. Everybody who's in the media has their own room 
where there's Wi-Fi and, and importantly, this is important, not 300 other people in the room making casual conversation, opening chip bags, eating the contents of the chip bags, coughing, sneezing, having weird press conferences at the front of the room, or talking about like the Jackie Robinson Foundation. There's just a lot going on in the media room. And I understand if you were like a beat writer, you have to be on site because you get to go, you're supposed to go interview team people who are around. Right. But it is, as I think you discovered, now you, you weren't in the media room. There wasn't a reason for you to be there. But yeah. <laughs> again, to restate, not a reason for anybody to be there. Just a miserable, miserable place. I thought that I thought that people might feel well. We didn't know quite how many credentials we would get. Although I think that it could have been fine. We could have just credentialed everyone. But you know, I thought that people might feel a bit awkward if I was sitting there and they were to file, and then I would be reacting to what I was editing, which was the thing they just filed, which might feel kind of strange. Although I, I was probably just being silly. But no, I ended up sitting in our our luxurious Fangraphs suite for most of those 27,000 days that we were in the city of Las Vegas. It was just such a very long time. Mm -hmm. It was very long to be there. But, you know, it's nice because, as we said before, we, we sit at home by ourselves all the time, and we don't get to see our coworkers, you know, regularly, and that's why we end up on the phone. But, you know, I just got to sit there with, with David Appleman and Sean and, and Eric and Kylie and, like, get – stuff done and talk through things we needed to think about for the site and watch Sean like redesign a search function in two days because he's really amazing. So that part was cool. And, you know, the suite had windows. So I think it had that on the media room. Like we could look out and see the airport that had the planes that would take us away from Vegas when the whole thing was done. So that was inspiring because it's like, hey, look, somebody gets to leave even if it's not us. And at the Mandalay Bay, though, all the windows have some kind of weird tinting on them such yeah. that everything outside looks green and, and blue. I, I know, for one thing, it's useful to have these events, not only to see one's coworkers, but to be reminded that this weird thing that we do on the Internet is for, like, real people yeah. <laughs> that exist. And I don't whether they enjoy it is entirely up to them, but they at least observe it, many of them. And, and so it's it's nice to be reminded that... There is a, a human audience, but I, I was thinking in the media room, I think one of the reasons people like to go there, aside from just the inertia of it, that's, it says media room, that's where the media goes, of course, is you get to catch up with your media buds in other cities that yeah. maybe you uh, you don't see, especially when the season is over. And the the thing I hate about the media room is how much conversation takes place, but I realize I that's where I got to catch up with Grant Brisby, who I have loved forever and it's kind of like when you're <laughs> sitting in gridlock and you see those like little signs that say you are the traffic it's like oh right i'm being the <laughs> asshole right now who's just catching up with a friend in yeah. the media room yeah or you get to like you get to meet people who you've known online in like a, in various capacities for a really long time but haven't actually gotten to meet before I me mean, grant sort of filled that criteria for me where it's like, oh yeah, we've like goofed around on Twitter for like literally years about baseball stuff and bad puns and, you know, me sounding like a dad when I make jokes. And then it was nice to be like, hey, there there you are. There you are in person. I can like give you a high five and, you know, be awkward when I meet you for the first time because there's like this assumed familiarity and you know, sort of like that, that intimacy you have with friends, except we'd never met before. So I was like, I know all about your day also, because it was on Twitter, but tell me anyway. <laughs> it's a very strange phenomenon that you're reminded of and sort of thrown into stark relief when you're in a situation like that. It's like, huh, I know exactly how your day went, but I'd like to hear details you decided not to share with the internet, please. 
So I know a lot of baseball fans on Twitter or in the other places baseball fans are said to exist. I only ever see them on Twitter. But they will ask, is it worth going to the winter meetings as a fan? Now, how did how did your experience, your first winter meetings, compare to what you thought it might be like? Well, there's a rodeo in town, so that was different. You should go to Vegas for the rodeo. If if the winter meetings happen to be there, great. But like the the rodeo folks, that's where the good people watching is. They are rodeo people. They are excited about the rodeo. I saw several children with big belt buckles and hats that looked heavier than them. No, I wouldn't go as a fan. I don't know what you would do. It's like a bunch of bekakied, bepoloed, I'm just making up words, like guys, mostly overwhelmingly men, many of whom have the exact same haircut. You know, I don't want to to make generalizations, but like there really ought to be more in the way of name tags for everyone, not just credentialed media, because I swear like some, some of the baseball team guys, you could line them up and I could not, I could not tell amongst them. I'm like, this is the same person. You are several twins. So I don't know what fans would, would do. And at least you you would have better insight into this than I would because you've been to winter meetings before. The The way that this one was laid out, most of the team people were in a separate sort of elevator bank tower hotel separate from the Mandalay. So there wasn't even a ton of like team people wandering through kind of kind of thing. I mean, there was some of that after hours as people came by to like say hi and you know, catch up with folks that they knew, but you know, you don't even get to like look around and be like, Oh, there's Jerry DePoto, you know, because he's, he's up in a suite or in this case, like in the hospital. So I don't know what, what do fans do at, at winter meetings? I'm not sure that many go. Now you do see, like there was a baseball tonight, I don't know, counter set up, whatever that was inside for some reason, the reasons that continue to be unknown to me, MLB network put its studio outside above a pool without a guardrail. Yep. I have absolutely no idea what they were looking for there. Everybody else is inside. And Baseball Tonight had their studio inside, and I did see, like, crowds would kind of form around the studio as people would love to see the people they know from TV beyond TV. Whatever. I get that. If you were already staying at the Mandalay, and you're like, I need to kill five minutes. But other than that, I mean, in fairness, I did, like, run into Dave Cameron and August Fagerstrom, just, like, yeah. down in the one place where everybody would get together. And that just happened by chance. I didn't arrange it. They were just there, old friends from Fangraphs, and they were meeting. And I was like, oh, hey, look, people I know, they're friends. Right. But at no point did I walk by, I don't know, baseball royalty, I don't think. I guess like Nathan Neovaldi walked down an aisle near me, and Dave Dombrowski's beautiful haircut was trailing <laughs> shortly behind. But like, even even if you came across, say, Jerry DePoto, even if you did, it happened to me right. once in Nashville. Saw him on one of these weird bridges that's above. I don't need to explain it. It's just the whole labyrinthian. They're all they're all stupid. I ran into him and I was like, "Hey," and he was like, "Hey," and that and then we left because we were going in other directions. Right. What do you do after that? You realize very quickly that you have no plan for the moment that comes immediately after the hello. I'm trying yeah. to think of the best sightings. Chris Young was there. The the pitcher Chris Young. He is still uh, ninety seven thousand feet tall. He really did stand out. You're like, wow, that is a very tall person. Like he's t- he's taller than you are, right? Yes, I'm sure by- like by a considerable margin. I mean, for human sizes, I guess. Who else did I see? I don't know various GM types as they were coming to and fro, different site like sets and whatnot. 
I guess the the fan thing behind the TV sets was one of my favorite parts of winter meetings because I I just had it on in in the hotel in the morning because I was tired and you know the coffee in the room was five dollars and I was like waiting for people to wake up so that I could go get coffee with with folks and I was like I need some stimulus in this hotel room and they're all standing behind the set and they're in you know gear they're they're wearing their fan stuff. But they were doing this, at least some of them were doing this really weird thing where it was like they clearly had gone there in order to be on TV and to see this thing. But they were also very uncomfortable being on TV and being seen on TV. And so they were doing that thing that that you do at parties when you arrive and you're there to see exactly one person, but there are a lot of other people and you're sort of, you know, craning over folks to like find someone else in the crowd. They were doing that, but like in the camera shot rather than just watching what was on set or looking straight ahead. And I was like, we are very uncomfortable when observed and it always feels like a good idea, I think, for folks. And then they get there and they're like, oh, crap. Like, you can see me in my shiny face. Yeah, you kind of uh, now. I was gonna say prairie dog it, but I realized that has that's an entirely different expression. Oh no! I, one thing, like maybe maybe you're for your fan. First of all, the winter meetings are not just like this transaction-filled extravaganza that I think you're led to believe they used to be. But teams now they're exploring the space. Let's say there is no real deadline. To right. It's not as meeting. if they have to make a move before you know Thursday. They can yeah. they can fly home, do whatever they want. And even if they do make a move, like uh, I was in, I think it was D.C. whenever Chris Sale was traded to the Red Sox. And here is exactly what happened when I was in the media room. I didn't, I hadn't learned yet. I was in the media room at that point. And the Chris Sale was traded from the the team he played for, the White Sox, of course, to uh, to the Red Sox. (laughs) Like major trade. One of the biggest trades we've seen in the last five or ten years. Top prospect going the other way. You remember. Everybody remembers the trade. Yep. And so I was sitting next to Dave Cameron and we saw it on Twitter. And a few writers around the room also saw it on Twitter, and that was what happened. And then people started to write about it. There wasn't like an alarm. There weren't there weren't like lights and sirens and confetti. There wasn't like all of a sudden like Dave Dombrowski and, and Rick Hahn just like materialized out of a cloud of smoke in the middle of the room. And they're like, we did it! Trade made! There wasn't anything... <laughs> That took place. It just looked like people writing on computers with like a little bit of chatter of like, "Oh, did you see this? Yes, I saw that. Now I'm I'm writing." So like the, even even when that happens, I heard rumors that when when the Cubs signed John Lester, uh, I was in San Diego. Those winter meetings, whenever that was, and they signed him at like, if I recall, like one in the morning because go to hell, Cubs. Yeah. And I am let. I've been led to believe that after that was official, like all the Cubs front office went out to some bar and they were just doing shots. That's great. I don't know what bar. Probably wasn't even the bar that was like on site. They just went to some bar in downtown San Diego. If you get lucky enough, maybe you'll see Theo Epstein from a hundred yards away taking a shot because he signed a veteran pitcher. But like that is what you're going to get. There's nothing that happens except people write. Yeah, I guess next year we'll just, you, you can get a credential so you have one, but you could just hang out in the suite or you could sit by yourself in your own hotel room, I suppose. <laughs> but, you know, it is it is nice to sit there and be like, hey, come fix this thing. You know, like Kylie was working on a bracelet. So I was like, this doesn't make sense. Fix this. And then he did. It was great. It was right there. But otherwise, it's not very different from your your normal baseball day, except that you do feel the obligation. The, the like the evening time is a strange time. At least I felt strange about it at winter meetings because obviously you do want to see friends and you want to go to, you know, dinner with your coworkers and go to whatever wonderful place David Appleman is taking us to where we will eat entirely too much meat and feel 
kind of bad about it the next day. But you also are conscious of the fact that like people have an expectation because you are there and because transactions are supposedly going to happen that you will then respond to them in sort of news time, which, you know, we did, except for those reliever trades or signings that happened at one in the morning where I was just like, well, we're getting to this on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I was talking to like a team person when that happened. I didn't even want to still be up. It was just the only time that we could get together just to say, hey, and have a conversation. And I, I saw on the bottom line, like it was what Joe Kelly and then Juris Familia had signed the contracts. Yeah. And you just get that nagging feeling in, in the back of your head that just says, you know what? Circumstances are dictating that this is just, this is bad timing. These are major trades, but like everyone is traveling or they're traveling earlier in the morning or like maybe one of us is going to get up the next morning and tackle it. But then the Mariners made a three-team trade with the Rays and the Indians and it just kind of gets out of hand. It is always hard because you have writers who go out and when writers get together, you might have noticed this, writers like to drink alcohol. Oh my, like like (laughs) fish, like fish who will die if they do not drink boozy water. Just like boozy fish, the whole lot of them. And then all of the team people are just in their suites, like sleeping not even a little bit. And they're just making moves whenever whenever they want because they have 23 hour schedules every single day. So it's just when, if you were a fan and there's a move that happens after, uh, let's call it 10, 10 p.m. I don't even care, 10 Eastern, just don't expect one's best yeah that's what we aim for at fangraphs lowering expectations (laughs) but it is a you know this is one of the things i mean this is such an obvious point this is one of the things that changes when you are you know editing or writing your engagement with news takes on both you know a an analytic side you're trying to analyze the trade tell people what you think of it what it means for teams what it means for players and then there's this like a logistical component of how does this interact with my life? And now for me, I have this component of who do I want to bother with this? Like when when Yonder Alonso was traded on Friday, I saw it come across Twitter at like <laughs> 7 p.m. Pacific. And I was like, you know what? No, it's fine. We'll deal with this on Monday. This is not a big enough trade. It is a not small trade. It is, it's interesting, I guess, in its own way. But no, people are tired and they will sleep and I will bother people on Monday with this. <laughs> so you, you start to, you know, you have different things that you're worried about as opposed to just like, did, did the team I like best get the guy? I like, so yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd one. There's definitely a line, like with with the Yonder, I saw the Yonder Alonso trade happen too. I was also on Twitter and I also thought, no, not today and not tomorrow because tomorrow's Saturday. But there's like a line, where would you, where would you draw the, okay, (laughs) okay. I'm going to present you, I don't know, three to more than three hypotheticals. These are moves that happen on a Saturday, okay? And you tell me if in your capacity as managing editor, you would assign someone to write about this on the weekend, not wait for Monday. Okay, so we'll start. Pretty easy. Bryce Harper signs with the team. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's go with Craig Kimbrell signs with a team. Yes. Nathan Yavaldi, this already happened. Oh, we have a but. Well, so here's the deal with Kimbrell. I would, if it's Harper, yes, absolutely. Or like Machado, yes, absolutely. If it's Kimbrell, yes, absolutely. But I also would... You know, you have this like backup role where you're like, well, I can just write about it if no one's available. But I would really, uh, I would really wrestle people awake to write about Harper or Machado. Right. I would be more inclined to like take one for the team if it's Kimbrel, even though like that's a, he's a marquee free agent, like where he signs is going to be a big deal. But yeah, continue. Yeah. I remember, I remember last year, whenever it was being 
sort of on call thinking you Darvish was going to sign on some Saturday and it happens to be the weekend I was moving. It's just like, oh, this is a pile of crap. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Nathan Yovali, he already signed, but let's say he signs on a Saturday. I'm trying to remember what we didn't you just volunteer to write that anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think, I think you maybe just volunteered. I mean, I think anyone who anyone who was on our top 50, certainly anyone who was in like the top 15 of our top 50 free agents, mm-hmm. I would be in Slack immediately asking if people are available. And then if people were not available, who the free agent was would determine if I bothered people on text separately from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, marquee people, if if no one's around, like, I, I would bug you about Bryce Harper. Right. As you should. Yeah. Because yeah. like, as, as many means as possible. Yeah, because we got we to gotta tackle that. But um, it was sort of nice earlier in this offseason when some of these Mariners moves were being telegraphed. And we, we pretty much knew both from what was publicly available and also, you know, folks we know, we pretty much knew who the pieces were going to be. And so we were able to pre-write some of it, which was great. Like, you know, Eric went through and did all of his prospect stuff like two days before. So then I had the unusual experience of being at dinner with my mother and being like, we got to go because I got to go click publish on this and give it a final read. We were getting the check. I wasn't rude. She was like, your job is really different than it was a year ago. And I was like, yes, and thank God. But, uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's a it's a balance. You want people to like where they work, but also we're a baseball site that does news stuff, so we got to respond to news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but not Yandir Alonso news. No, that I was I was like, no, everyone's going to sleep cuz I don't The other thing was I was like, I don't want to stay up to edit this. Mm-mm. No. Nope, Monday's fine. You <laughs> you learn something. Be a you, <laughs> well, yeah, you you think so. And then yeah. you have cases like, oh, Edwin Encarnacion is on the Mariners now, but for how long? What a what a Jerry thing. Not only to conduct a trade from a hospital bed, we're like, so Jerry, there's a work-life balance conversation to be had. I get it's winter meetings, but like you're really in the hospital for stuff that's very scary. Like blood clots in your lungs can kill you. People die from that. People die. Anyway, what a Jerry thing to not only do do a trade from his hospital bed, but in the middle of the Rule 5 draft. <laughs> <laughs> I had perhaps surreptitiously procured credentials from another brown-haired woman media type because, you know, apparently we all look the same too. And so I was sitting in the in the room for the Rule 5 draft with, with Eric and that trade came across Twitter and I was like, but we're doing this thing now. Like, I'm worried about this thing. And now I have to worry about this other thing and go bother Jeff to cancel a podcast so that he can write about this dopey trade. I had all these designs to have a nice breakfast and say goodbye to all of my coworkers who were still present. And then I got to wake up, groggy, after sleeping for about five hours and write about a trade for three hours and go directly to an airplane. So I didn't get to say goodbye to anyone uh, anyone personally. But I, I, it is hard with 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 a trade like that with with Depoto being literally in the hospital and at least being party to a trade being made in his name it's hard not to just want to to fight the urge to make light of it because it was life threatening but also at the same time it is objectively a funny thing to happen to him so i don't really know I, i'm not well versed in the etiquette of uh, of handling a situation like this i think we're allowed i think we're allowed to be amused by it now that we know he's going to be okay 
you know, I think we had kind of heard throughout the weekend that like Jerry wasn't, that Dabota wasn't around and was maybe under the weather. Like I, I had heard that, but didn't realize the severity of, of the situation. And so, you know, but we, we know he's okay. Like he, he made it and uh, they were sort of in good spirits about it. And obviously, you know, he had an, an army of folks with him who were able to sort of help take it the last 10 yards to, to get the deal done. But yeah, it is a very, it's a really weird thing that often happens with team employees where we sort of are both amused by and valorize that behavior. And, you know, you have to do deals. I get it. And winter meetings are an opportunity to do that. But there isn't actually a deadline <laughs> associated with any of that. And so you do wonder, it's like, at what point would Jerry have been too unwell for the Mariners to think we should continue to do business now versus like, we have a very serious like personnel issue here. One of perhaps many, but like <laughs> maybe maybe we should maybe we should step back for a second and make sure that our general manager is going to leave the state of Nevada like on a plane as opposed to other means. It's very strange. Poor Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's he says he says he's going to slow down, but I I did get it, like a flood yeah, right. of text messages saying how is Las Vegas? Jared Apoto had a pulmonary embolism. And I still haven't been able to wrap my head around it. I'm glad he's fine. I don't believe him for a second that he's going to slow down. In conclusion, I think we're, what have we gotten to? Winter meetings, good to see people. Waste of time? Uh, Are we at waste of time? Well, I mean, uh, some some of us went hiking. That was great. We did elect to be in Las Vegas longer in mm-hmm. order to hike. So, but I think on balance, I, I, I feel like that was a good trade-off. I don't know. Like, I, I like the people we work with. So it's really nice to see everybody because I'm, you know, as geographically far away from some members of our staff as it is possible to be while still being in the U.S. But I don't know that they need to be so long. That's a long time. I mean, and not just in Vegas. They're in San Diego next year. So that'll be nice because San Diego, I mean, well, you know San Diego better than I do, but tacos and not Las Vegas. So that'll be good. They like smoke on the casino floor at like 830 in the morning. You know, you go down, go down to get coffee at the at the Starbucks that is near the MLB uh, network set that doesn't have a line as opposed to the one by the media room where I think people were in line for most of the day. And you're walking across the casino floor and they're just, you know, patrons of the Mandalay Bay at 8.30 a.m., cigarette in hand at the slots. So you have to engage with this like sad part of America while you go get coffee so that you can have enough caffeine to write about baseball transactions. It's very disorienting. Maybe a waste of time, but definitely disorienting. It was a sad walk at, like you're saying, 8.30 in the morning on like a Tuesday, like a Tuesday yeah. going from my room to said Starbucks because I'm not above waiting in a line. And you just have these people who are doing whatever they do in a, in a casino. They're not like playing table games. Most of these are, are the slot people. But the, like they – I don't – I would assume a lot of people don't care about baseball. It's a smaller industry than you think for a billion-dollar industry. Yeah. But there are these people who are just like sitting there playing games unaware of the fact that they're like – some interesting and some might say important to baseball conversations happening just among them, just around them. I would see team people, I would engage in conversation with team people or industry people just like walking around the casino, sometimes hovering a few extra seconds by a slot. And it was just like kind of being in a in a zoo without windows, but I don't know who was observing whom. 
Yeah. And, and and then you factor in the rodeo people who, you know, they were there to do their own, their own thing for their own industry that probably is much smaller than they realize. So that was a, a funny mix of folks. They were very easily identifiable next to the team people, but also like weirdly present in spaces where there were a lot of team and media folks uh, with their big hats. They have literal cigarette girls on the casino floor, like with a tray of cigarettes that you can buy, like something out of a 1930s like movie, you know, some starlet trying to get a three-picture deal while she sells cigarettes at a club. It's just a wild place. It's a very strange, it's a very strange place. And it's always bright, even though you're inside. I had learned from the from the television where they were showing the rodeo finals that the payout, at least for like first place in, I don't know, roping a calf, was like $161,000, which is better than I expected, I guess, for yeah. the rodeo. But then I was I was also informed by some people in an elevator uh, that, that when you are a rodeo person, cow person, what do we refer to? When you're a rancher? I don't know. When you're a member of the Bundy family... And you are oh, no. <laughs> participating in in the rodeo finals. That I guess you have to like pay your own way for everything. Like you don't. I don't know if there are like rodeo sponsorships. I'm assuming that there's not a lot of baseball rodeo podcast listening overlap here. So hopefully I'm not offending too many people. But oh, I think you're fine. But still, some champion made 161 thousand dollars that weekend. So good for that guy. My aunt is a graphic designer by trade and used to do a bunch of the like magazine work for the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association's trade publication. And we would kill for the circulation that the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association's trade publication had. You know, they, they publish like a once monthly magazine and there's always some strapping guy on the cover looking like a rodeo guy. There is a shocking amount of money in rodeo and it's quite mean. I mean, rodeo is quite mean to the animals. It does not go well. But I think that it's one of those weird things where we all live in, well, many of us at Fangraphs live in coastal places or near big cities, and we probably do not realize the the cultural import of rodeo, even as, you know, it is dwarfed by other sporting events. But yeah, like, I, I think... I'm going to get this wrong, but I think the circulation for for the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association's like trade publication was like tens of millions of people. It was Lord. huge. It was crazy. I'm going to feel silly if it's a lot smaller than that, but they I mean, they had a staff. She worked with other graphic designers. It was not just her. So, I don't know. The the rodeos big money. I think when when we were in the sports book and I was inflicting Monday Night Football on my coworkers, wasn't the total purse for the rodeo like $18 million or something like that across all of the various events over the various days? It was some crazy number. I think the word you're looking for is prodeo. It's uh it's <sighs> prodeo. When you when you were doing so the only the only event I think I saw on TV, I assume there were multiple events, but the only event was the uh lasso a calf and then and then string it up string up its legs yeah. and you the, the whoever does it the fastest wins the the money probably not the calf and then that and no. people were doing it in like five seconds let's say five seconds was about the time they go out there galloping on a horse they lasso a tiny cow and then they string it up and then that's it that's the end of the event for for the individual is that the end of the event for the calf or is it always the same calf who's just out there running around and getting just like randomly lassoed and strung up by its legs like is it worse to have like a team of calves getting strung up or just one and it's happening 
over and over again. I would imagine that they have to have a a core of calves, if you will, <laughs> a a bushel, a peck, because sometimes I would imagine that sometimes the calves do get injured in this process, which I would assume counts as some sort of demerit against you, the cow person doing this event. But I, I would think that I mean, clearly the rodeo is not, as I said, great for the animals involved, but I would imagine there is some like baseline of treatment that is required of the rodeo, and they probably can't run the same calf out there multiple times in a row. We're going to get some, some Fangraphs reader is going to know the answer to this, and we're going to get a very long comment when this goes live, <laughs> but it feels like there have to be several calves and many bulls. The, the bulls are the ones who really get a rough deal in the rodeo. It is not it is not a fun experience for them or probably for the, the broncos, the, the buck and stuff. I think it's pretty bad. I think the rodeo is pretty bad. I can't tell if you're now still referring to things that exist in the rodeo or if you're just like... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not making up events care. just to just to make you just to make you feel bad about not knowing about the rodeo. Because like, why would you have to know? I've been to a rodeo. Oh well, then there you go. Calf, calf yeah. roping is like a, a a real thing though that like people have to do. Like that is a skill that right. you know people who drive cattle have to have to do when they when they get the you know when they get the bulls to buck and stuff like that. It that isn't necessary. That's not very nice. I what like what are you how are you conditioning? Let's let's go with your your core your harem of calves theory, and uh, there's just like I don't know a half dozen of them, right? And they're they're getting roped and strung up. How are they being conditioned? Because like if you've done it long enough, assuming their brains are capable of learning anything from anything, like at first they'd probably think, oh god, I'm restrained. This is bad evolutionarily. This means that I'm dying. But after a while, they they are let go and then they they start to realize oh i don't have to fear this anymore i'm just always getting strung up but then they just let me run free again so then do you think it gets easier to string them up over time as they become inured to it maybe i mean they don't they can't do it forever right they stop being calves at some point and so then you have to break in a new generation of of animals but but maybe i mean i don't know the answer to that i'm gonna feel really bad if they like immediately kill them or something like that they might turn into bulls, but they're always calves in their heart. <laughs> there are so many different rodeo events. If you just search rodeo events on Google, this goes on for several, well, one click. That's that's <laughs> that's more than I would have thought. What is oh, sometimes you tie goats in addition to to calf roping. You can also do steer roping. What is shoot dogging? That doesn't sound like something that I should click on. Mutton that busting. Seems what is that? Oh, we're 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 the worst coastal sports, aren't we? The bull riding is where I think um, you know people like animal rights groups have really come down hard, and sometimes you know like it's not great for the cowboys either. They get all kinds of back, and it's it's like playing football in much shorter increments. I think they have a very high concussion rate. You can tear up your knees and all kinds of stuff. Plus, the way they get them to buck isn't great. Camp drafting is a unique Australian sport involving a horse and rider working cattle. The riding style is Australian stock, somewhat akin to American Western riding, and the event is similar to the American stock horse events, such as cutting, working cow horse, team penning, and ranch sorting. There is a paragraph here that explains the rules. I will not read it because I've done enough podcasts to know that this is bad podcasting to just read Wikipedia onto a recording. 
Well, but I mean, how many people know about about the rodeo? They came here for winter meeting takes, and these are the things that happened at winter meetings. I mean, not immediately, but like adjacent. These are winter meetings adjacent activities. I wonder if they did chuck wagon racing. That seems pretty good because you're just like racing a wagon around. You're not pulling on any parts of the animal that are weird. That's the thing with bull riding. You know how they get them to buck, right? I don't. I can guess. They... What great, what great podcast material. This is going to be totally family friendly podcast. They tie, they tie a rope around their balls and then they yank on it. And you will be shocked to learn that the bulls don't like that. (laughs) See, there are a lot of podcasts out there that people listen to because the host or the hosts know a lot about the topic at hand (laughs) and then they are spreading their information. But there are not enough podcasts where everyone's just learning together. I think just learning at once. We're all we're all in this terrible time together, thinking about those poor bulls. What must happen to them? Oh, oh well. Well, I don't know. Maybe the uh, the bulls end up hospitalized at the end of their rodeo, kind of like Jerry Depoto did at the end of winter meetings. Everyone's just I... getting. I don't know. I can't finish that. It would be terrible. You segued <laughs> from from something know. getting a rope tied around I, its it balls was to just Jerry Depoto. Like, really, the. I I regretted it immediately, but then I was too far along, and now I'm trying to claw it back, and I can't. Ah, this phrasing is just the worst. I know. There's a cover story. Jared Apoto was in the hospital for testicular torsion, I guess. That's that's the big Uh, leak. He wasn't even a catcher. doesn't even make sense. Why does anyone catch? Anyway, what else do we have to talk about? The Mets signed Wilson Ramos. Speaking of catchers, it's been kind of slow. starting to heat up a little bit. The starting pitcher market has moved a little more quickly than I maybe thought that it would. Although I guess we haven't seen Keiko go yet. It does kind of seem like a situation where one team, and I'm just I'm not going to say their names, so let's go with like the 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 Los Angeles Blanks, uh, I guess, are kind of holding up like the market because yeah. they have an abundance of players and they need to make some sort of consolidation trade and they have to pick whether they're going to try to trade for a starting pitcher or they're going to trade for JT Romuto and they just have to make up their mind. And yep. until something like that happens, then everybody else is just kind of waiting around i know that some teams have removed themselves from the real mudo market but other teams who have done so like the astros seem to be back in so yeah i don't know how much depends on real mudo but between him and and whether the indians are actually still motivated to trade a starting pitcher we're just kind of waiting on some shoes to drop even independent of of machado and and harper because they're not going to happen forever yeah, I thought that I thought that maybe with the Phillies moving Santana that we would start to get sort of a loosening of the market because they seem like there'll be players in some of those markets and now they know what they're doing. But yeah, it, it hasn't sort of unclogged as quickly as I expected it to. And, you know, I guess if you're the Marlins, like you definitely need to stick the landing on Real Mudo. So I understand them kind of feeling it out as, as folks who... Folks will have listened to this after our our Marlins uh, prospect list has dropped, and that system is not good. One of our commenters called it "butt," and I thought that was rude because you know <laughs> butts are nice sometimes, and that system is not good. So you get why they are maybe reticent to actually pull the trigger until they know for sure that they're getting what they want. But we need we need some of this stuff to to get moving. Although if people want to wait until after next week so that everyone can spend time with their families. That would be fine. Also, just saying, we could just wait and do it in the new year. There'll still be free agents. There'll still be guys to trade for. 
and then and then everyone can just enjoy uh, their their Christmas holiday or New Year holiday, whatever it is that they're celebrating, and rest, and then come into the New Year refreshed. Because, you know, they're still going to be there. All those guys will still be there in much the same way that, like, Joe Kelly would have been there at 10 a.m. I guess the commenter should have commented bad butt just to specify. Right, you need to clarify. Yeah. Because some baseball butts are good butts. This is taking a very strange direction in the last 10 minutes. Some any butts. Yeah. It doesn't have to be baseball butts. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Fangraphs Audio, where we discuss... (laughs) Bulls and butts. Oh, but let me, let's, to, to specify, still, talking about baseball butts is more on brand for fan graphs compared to where this podcast was a year ago. So, uh, <laughs> Mazel tov. I think that Bryce Harper, realistically, whether it's up to him or up to an executive, he should just make a deci- decision whether on Christmas morning or just like 1130 on New Year's Eve just to do it. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he has an inkling of where he's going to go. But if you are – if you're the player, for example, who is who is – going to make a free agent decision and ultimately this is going to be up to, to harper and and scott boris to a great extent like you can probably time a release just send out a tweet or some sort of press release like bryce harper could time a tweet he doesn't even have to be awake and alert nope. at eleven thirty on new year's eve if he wanted to do it just to really just to really futz with the crowd just to have a little fun with it it would be kind of like the opposite of lebron james's decision right yes. you can just kind of I don't know why I'm rooting for this because I I would definitely not be available, but it is something that we haven't had like the holiday interruption, I don't think, in a very long time. So in some sense, we are overdue. Yeah, I guess we've only really had like holiday eve interruptions in the most recent years, right? Like we had we had a couple Thanksgiving Eve trades, but we haven't had anything on Christmas around Christmas that I can think of. I'm surprised. I don't know. I you you want to make the decision that's right for you. Obviously, like they've been planning this free agency for you know the entirety of his baseball career, so they're not going to rush it if they don't have to. But Emma Bachelary noted that she was looking at both Bryce Harper and his wife's Instagram accounts, and I guess they recently celebrated their wedding anniversary, which isn't surprising. All these guys get married in you know November and December because it's the off season, and the weird thing about any public facing social media when you're a celebrity is that anyone can kind of comment on your stuff and the overwhelming majority of comments on there like here's my beautiful wife i am so happy to be married to her instagram was where are you signing come here do this like we would love we would love you in philly new york is so great and so you're just sitting there like these guys have such a strange life and then they get you know, they're scrutinized the entire year. And then once a career, they have this intense period of just every single thing they do being an indication that they like this place or don't like that place. And it just seems like a crazy amount of pressure. I mean, I was like in a near panic over five minutes of TV. So I don't know how they sustain this stuff over multiple months. But, you know, I'd be tempted to just like take a deal, even though it's not a great one just to be done with it. But luckily, uh, he's taking advice from someone who's better at this than I am. So (laughs) I think we will have to wait until the new year. Let's talk about that weird social media thing for a second, because there's a trend that I don't know what label to put on it yet. And maybe it's been discussed elsewhere. and, And I just haven't been aware. But you'll see it on a lot of reporter accounts, Twitter accounts, whether it's Ken Rosenthal or Buster Olney or whoever you want. And no matter what they tweet, you'll have people who are responding like Harper to Yankees confirmed or announce Harper to Yankees. What is that? Where did that start? Why does everybody do it? What is it? What is it? What do we call it? What is it? I hate it. And it's everywhere. Every single tweet that Kenny Rosenthal puts out, he just gets like, announce Machado to Dodgers. And what do you do? How do, what was, how is that a meme? <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know. It's wild. It has to drive. I mean, they get it for everyone. So it's, it has to be so much worse than it is even for the beats, right? Like, cause every Yankees beat is getting the same stuff, but it's only about Machado. Whereas like Ken is getting that stuff for every marquee free agent, no matter what he tweets. It's terrible. Like they're, I mean, they're probably just smart and don't look at their mentions, which is a lesson I suppose we could all learn. But I don't know. It's it's wild. There's like a fundamental misunderstanding about what reporting is. Because it's like, no, if if Ken Rosenthal knows where Bryce Harper's going, I think Ken would tell you because that'd be good news to break, right? Like he's not sitting on it. <laughs> it's very strange. I, I I think it inspires a lot of bad behavior because fans are rabid and there's nothing going on to distract them, at least if they're not fans of other sports. So they just hunker down and, and think about, you know, does, does Bryce Harper like the food in New York or Philly more or wherever, wherever. I found a baseball reference tool. It's called yeah. the Historical Transactions Occurring on Date Tool. That's not what it's called, but that's what it, I'm looking at here. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you just a few moves. I looked up Christmas. You have to look up Christmas, right? Yeah. January first is pretty inactive. Although last January first, the Los Angeles Dodgers signed C.C. Lee, who is a baseball player. Who's I'm I'm looking at his name right here. Anyway, Christmas 2016, the Red Sox signed to Brian Bogusevich. Mm. 2012, the Cubs signed not just Jay Chapman but also Zach Putnam. Uh, 2009, the White Sox signed Jason Botts. 2008, the Phillies signed Scott Matheson. 2005, the Angels signed Tim Salmon. That is of some note. 2004, sure. Padres signed Brian Falkenborg. The Royals signed Jose Lima. That's a real player. That was a real player yeah. who had a, a real major league career. But I'm just like scrolling back here. There's just not. <laughs> 1920, the Reds purchased Bubbles Hargrave for $10,000. Great. And in 1898, the Reds purchased Kip Selbach from the Washington Senators for $5,000. And I guess, I don't know, 1880, the Buffalo Bison signed Jim O'Rourke as a free agent, but that date given is approximate. Exact date is uncertain. There are a few transactions, not a single Christmas trade, which is not surprising. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's interesting, although perhaps not surprising, that it's mostly just signings. Because, like, that's a nice thing. If you're that guy, you know, sitting around on Christmas and you're like, oh, I don't know where I'm working next year. And then some GM calls you and is like, so, hey, congratulations, you're a Los Angeles Dodger. You'd feel pretty good. That'd be a nice little Christmas present. But if you're like, now I have to move, that would be a terrible Christmas present, which is how a trade must feel, right? It's like I am moving against my will as opposed to I have employment and employment is good because money is nice for things. <laughs> In uh, 1986, this is now Christmas Eve, okay? Christmas Eve, 1986, the Yankees traded a player to be named later, Ron Hassey and Carlos Martinez to the Chicago White Sox for Ron Kittle, Joel Skinner, and Wayne Tolleson. The Yankees sent Bill Lindsay to the White Sox to complete the trade. So I am, uh, I, I will not lie about my age. I don't remember almost any of those players, but I know that Ron <laughs> Kittle was like a real... So, yeah. uh, so in 1986, this would have been a trade of, I don't know, some import. Yeah, Kittle was like an almost everyday player in 1986. So Christmas Eve, that is, uh, that's the closest Christmas I've been able to find a trade. Christmas Eve, I will be in the mountains with my family. And, uh, I don't know. I don't, if we have a trade on Christmas Eve, I don't know that we will do anything with it until the 26th. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just warning you now. I might be snowshoeing or falling down on skis. So readers of fan graphs will have to wait until the day after Christmas. What, what kind of person is like, well, I guess people, some people don't like their families. I was going to say, what kind of person is like, no, I'm going to sit here and read about a baseball trade on Christmas Eve, but some people are like, please get me away from my family. 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Especially now with smartphones, I don't. I yeah, you can just, just sit, sit in a rocking chair with your family in the same room, right? But you can just yeah. be reading the Atlantic. Hmm. Well, I still don't think that teams should do that because it's pretty rude. <laughs> it's rude to their families too. Uh, ruder, uh, I would. Yeah. I would say much, much ruder. Yeah. Well, we're kind of coming up on an hour, and uh, it's dark here because it's five and. You know, I live on the North Pole. Is it dark in Portland? I would imagine so. I uh, I see the fading light, but the sun is down. Mm, it's like actually dark here. That was one of the nice things about Vegas. There were nice things. And one of the nice things was that it did not get dark at like four, which is when it gets dark here. I wake up in the dark and then it's really dark when I go to bed. It's like a thing about my life now. But at least I'm cozy in my house. There was, I guess, before we leave Vegas, and we're talking about nice things in Vegas. I don't know if David Appleman would want me to tell this story, but I kind of have to because I've been telling it to everyone. Because we went to a restaurant, and we don't need to talk about what the restaurant was. It doesn't matter. But we went to a restaurant the first real night we were there. I guess it would have been Sunday. Staff dinner. Appleman likes to have staff dinners. So, you know, sometimes they go to a Mexican place, and they make, like, tableside guacamole. And you're like, oh, all right, fresh guacamole. This place is like, oh, we, our thing is we like to make tableside old fashions. Right? You were there. I guess I'm I not really – I'm not telling you this story so much as I guess the audience gets to hear this. Yes. Tableside old fashioned. So then there's like two women there with just a cart full of whiskey and and all the fixins, and they're uh, they're talking about their whiskey options. There's like, all right, well, here's the the regular whiskey, here's the twelve year aged whiskey, and here is the fifteen year aged whiskey. Who would like what whiskey mixed into their old fashioned? So I believe it was Craig Edwards who requested the first old fashioned, and then it was kind of like that old Sam Adams commercial where it was like all of the water, all of the water, all of us Sam Adams, and then everybody gets. Like an old-fashioned after that. <laughs> so I think I got like the 12-year-aged whiskey and then some people did the same. Other people got the 15-year-aged whiskey. And then they started to make the drinks. And then one of the women was like, so just so you know, the 12-year-aged whiskey is $35 and the 15-year-aged whiskey is $65. 65 freaking dollars for yep. a cocktail. Yep. And you don't mix a $65 liquor with simple syrup. No, you just drink it straight if you're paying $65 at that price. You got to have two of them. So that was absurd. I have been I have been misled about prices before, but I could not even put myself in the place of David Appleman. If I were to have that told to me, all of a sudden I'm footing the bill for this many. I, I do not have money. I don't have the kind of money for a $65, $65 rent. <laughs> I uh I I am not a brown liquor drinker because it does not sit well with me and not in a like if I drink too much then I don't feel well cuz it's like yeah duh. It, it just it has never sat well with me. I enjoy the the flavor and I you know like the the warmth thing, but my stomach is just like no, we're not doing that. So I drank wine and I do not know how much the bottle of wine <laughs> or bottles of wine we got were and I'm kind of happy to be ignorant of that. Because because I, I also, I'm sure, would have uh, had my eyes go wide. I'm, I'm sure my eyes did go wide at the table while we were sitting there. But I was like, you know, we've gone this far. <laughs> we've gone this far. And uh, you're you're not going to unorder because that's, I mean, that's tacky. But yes, uh, Appleman's quite generous. And I, I mean, were they were they good, the, yeah. the, the old fashions? Yeah, they were $35 good. Mine was, I guess. Do you think you would have been able to discern nope. the... <laughs> See, this is always my thing. It's like I can tell the difference between there there are certain things that I am 
fussy about when it comes to food and drink, but like not everything. And like with wine, I can tell the difference between say like a, you know, like bad wine and like a $30 bottle. And then maybe the difference between like a $30 bottle and like a $100 bottle. Cause I have gone to fancy dinners before where like that has been a thing that I've thankfully not been asked to pay for. But there is, there are wines that are like a thousand dollars a bottle. And I'm like, I just would not, I couldn't. I'm sure there are people who can, although I've read that the, the actual like difference in taste is not quite as profound as like sommeliers would have you believe and that they've done like blind testing stuff that people have just not past. So I don't know if anyone can tell the difference, but I would feel guilty because it's like, this is wasted on me. This is not, I just am not going to appreciate this sufficiently. Yeah. I, I feel that way about many of the meals that David Appleman takes us out for because he yeah. likes to, uh, he is a bit of a foodie and I'll, yeah. I, all I want is hot chicken. And so on the, the night that we got to have hot chicken last week, I was pleased. And I think it cost like $15. And and it was a very large plate of hot chicken. You had a whole chicken, it seemed, in front of you. Many much chicken. So much chicken. <laughs> it was it was a lot of hot chicken. It was it was some of the, some of the best bites that I had yeah. all week. I don't know what uh, are you doing one of these next week? Or are you taking the holiday week off? I I think I will uh, see if folks are around and then take the holiday week off. You know, it's like uh, Dylan does some nice little editing. And so I have to check in with him and see what his holiday plans allow for and also what our, you know, esteemed colleagues are up to. Next next week on Fangraphs will be, I imagine, quite light, although we will, assuming we can sort out the, the technical uh, side of this, maybe be featuring some of our favorite pieces from over the, the course of the year to remind folks of all the good words we've written and also to take some of the pressure off people to write new words. But yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be pretty quiet. Who's reading about baseball the week of Christmas? No one. Well, I can, I can, I can tell you who's got two thumbs and isn't writing about baseball the week of Christmas. <laughs> yes, you will be busy. <laughs> I imagine many people will be, but yeah, I don't know. I get to go to the mountains. I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't done uh, my my mom and her wife's house in the snow, so I'm I'm quite keen to get up there and actually get to like snowshoe and do some backcountry skiing and hopefully not injure myself in any profound way. We all made it out of Vegas alive. So I think we accomplished our goals. And I didn't know that you were a skier. And so we have, uh, I've learned something about radios and your, the condition of your knees. Well, there, yeah. Uh, I have not skied in, in many, many years and we only ever cross country ski. I do not downhill. So my knees are in fairly good shape as a result of that, but I'm mostly looking forward to snowshoeing, which I enjoy quite a bit. So that, that'll be my holiday plan. And then I will come back to Seattle and prepare to edit trades should there be any, but we're, we're telling people, you take the holidays off, enjoy your families, come back, come back refreshed. And, uh, you know, Ben doesn't really let me take a break from podcasting, so still gonna <laughs> have some podcasts coming out next week about God knows what, but they'll be happening. Oh, well, you'll get emails. I'm sure people will send emails that you can answer. You can do a bunch of stat blasts. It'll be good. It'll be good fun. I, I would ask if there's anything you want to plug, but you just like write every day and people know you. So that feels silly. But is there anything you want to plug? I'll, I'll tell you what what excites me very much, and this is a very niche, exciting thing. This is nothing that I'm doing. Uh, this is this is not about me. But for all of the like cool people that I've been able to talk to, or, or that Ben and I have had on on the other podcast on Wednesday. We have the distinct pleasure of talking to baseball pitcher Rick Teasley. Perhaps you are unfamiliar with who Rick Teasley is. He is, as of last week, the first and so far the only pitcher to ever strike out Williams Astadio <gasps> twice in a baseball game, in one game. And he did wow. it last week. 
we get to talk to him. I cannot wait for so many reasons. Oh, well, that that's a great thing to plug. And that, that, is a, that is an interview that I will look forward to. And as I drive to the mountains, I will probably get to a point where I'm actually caught up on podcast. So it'll be there waiting for me. How exciting. <laughs> he is. He's also an American, like a baseball pitcher who's in the Venezuelan Winter League. So like there's, there's, there's a lot we can all learn from Rick Teasley. Well, I look forward I to I, I look forward to learning about that and probably significantly more than I was able to inform you of about the rodeo or my own skiing habits. But that that's Jeff Sullivan. Welcome back to Fangraphs Audio. I'm about to say goodbye, but welcome back. It's been a long time since you've been on the program. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I guess Carson and I had a detente. <sighs> well, you know, you're just very busy with your own podcast, and I'm sure he didn't want to bother you with it. But thanks for joining us, and folks should check out Effectively Wild, whether there's Estudio content or not, although I don't know if there's been an Effectively Wild without Estudio content in the last year and a half, six months, the entire duration of the podcast. And uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me.